I love the general patent quote, and I've used this many times. If everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. And you think about it, you know, so many people are on one side of the boat with the whole idea that yields are going to have only one way to go, and that's negative. I know, you know, when I do client events, the question of, you know, will, when will the U.S. go negative? Not if, it's when. It's so confident. Versus 12 months ago. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. I'm Ryan Dietrich, and up in Boston, my good friend Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, how's it going? Going well. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, happy Friday to you. How's everything going down there? Oh, that's right. It is Friday. Now, normally, we record this podcast on Mondays, but this Monday is actually Jeff, my son's birthday, and it's fall break. Now, remember, I think I talked about this on the podcast last time, but we we lost our water a week ago. That was interesting for a couple of days with no water. But they had a day off school, so they were not supposed to have school this Friday, the day we're recording this, but they made them go to school. So anyway, they've got fall break next Monday. We're going to go up in what we call down here in the south, up in the mountains. We're going to Asheville, the Asheville area, going to get a hotel for a night, going to go to like this really cool apple orchard. It's pretty famous, lots of pumpkins and all types of... I guess they have really famous um, donuts, like made of apples. So you know, Dad's excited about that. But anyway, so we're not, I'm not here next Monday, so that's why we're recording this podcast on um, on Friday. How's life up in Boston treating you? Well, great. We have a birthday theme to to the podcast today because Good. my uh, daughter Emily's turning eight on Saturday tomorrow. So we're gonna awesome have a party. We got uh, Grandma in town, and um, it's a cookie theme. So uh, you didn't invite me. I didn't invite you. If we, I would have eaten we them all. That's why. Recording this, if we were recording this Saturday afternoon, I'd be so hyped up on cookie sugar, uh, you'd probably get a totally different uh, personality. Well, right. I am in a good mood after the, the Chiefs' victory last night over the rival Broncos. But uh, at any rate, uh, going to eat a lot of cookies uh, this weekend. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, Jeff, that sounds good. Yeah, Sebastian's actually going to be nine on Monday. And I have a birthday the following Monday. We'll talk about that later, but I'm getting older too. So anyway, so Jeff, this week we're going to do things a little bit differently. As we, we hinted at last week, we asked for some listener questions because we knew we were going to record this a little bit earlier than expected. Honestly, equity markets are pretty calm, all things considered. As I say that, I probably just jinxed it. But, you know, we're just going to go with some questions. And we, we thank you very much for those that did send in your questions. We've got, I don't know, six or seven of them here. We're going to see if we can get through all of them. Now, Jeff, the first question, though, this one you didn't see coming. We're recording this on Friday. Friday night, Ohio State plays Northwestern. So everyone will know the end of this score. Real quickly, Jeff, what is your call for the score? And by the way, are you undergrad Northwestern or was it your graduate, yes. Jeff? Undergrad. Under, undergrad. And I'm an Ohio boy, did not go to Ohio, but I do root for the Buckeyes. Jeff, what's your call on the score? Well, boy, it's really tough. Uh, Northwestern's out, man, but I'll just say uh, they'll keep it relatively close. I'll say. Um, I'll say thirty-one to twenty. How about that? Okay, I'm gonna go. Ohio State. I'm gonna go. That's. I'm gonna go the other. I'm gonna say forty-two to fourteen. So Ohio State, but we'll, we'll Ooh, see. That's so I, well, you know. So I know the Western's only scoring like ten points a game. So I don't. I don't know. I was giving them the up up there. No, but they're gonna find the offenses this week. There we I, go. I can, there I can we feel go. some better offense coming. Awesome. Friday night football. It's kind of cool. So that's <laughs> one question. Let's get to maybe more of a market-related question. Uh, Jeff Brennan actually sent a question, and he's from California. His question was: Was there any negative yielding global debt during any of the last, or how's it recorded? Any of the last yield curve inversions? That's the question we got from Brennan. And I know you did some research on this as I was traveling yesterday. What's your take on uh, yield curve inversions, negative debt in the past, Jeff? Yeah, this is in the U.S., uh, new territory. Um, if you go overseas, you can actually find negative policy rates in Japan 
mm-hmm. in the late nineties. But um, you know, we're we're not that that's very different. That's like the Fed funds rate, right? The rate that the Federal Reserve sets is different than the rate the yield on the sovereign debt. So I think it's fair to say there was negligible. Uh, negative yielding sovereign debt globally before the financial crisis, uh, and then uh, none in the U.S. So um, you really have to go to this post-financial crisis world, the world of quantitative easing uh, in the U.S. to find uh, uh, negative uh, sovereign debt yields here. Yeah, what did Templeton say? The four most dangerous words are this time is different. But I've seen John live on stage before talk about that, and he's actually had the crowd say, everyone together say, this time is different. It's kind of funny when the crowd does that. But it really is different this time, and that's why I think we say continue to focus on the action in the credit markets, for instance. You know, high yield, not to get too geeky here, but high yield spreads, investment grade spreads. If there truly was an impending recession, impending doom coming from what all this negative debt and yield curves are telling us, that probably show there, but those spreads are still very well contained. Spreads in Europe actually recently made new 52-week lows. So you say the bond guys are the smartest people in the room. Well, the yield curve's telling us one thing, but the credit markets are really saying another, and I think it's important to kind of look at both sides there. Jeff, am I miss anything on that, or do you kind of agree? Well, what it's you think? interesting. Futures markets, um, called the euro-dollar future markets, futures markets, are actually showing people are betting on negative rates coming to the U.S. Uh, we think that's very unlikely. The Fed funds rate, we think probably going to put in a floor at one percent, maybe a little higher, one to one and a half, um, and we could maybe view that as zero in the U.S. We don't know what the unintended consequences are from these negative rates. We haven't uh, we haven't had it before. Uh, I just don't think that the Fed wants to go there. But we'll have a recession someday, and they're going to have to cut rates uh, to fight that off. Um, we we may be sort of pushing against the lower bound of what the uh, Federal Reserve is comfortable doing. Yeah, Jeff, I guess it was probably four or five weeks ago, approximately, we actually wrote about negative yielding debt and could the U.S. go negative, because that was one of the biggest questions we've received in a long time. And from that contrarian point of view, you know, that's when yields bottom. Yield curves have started to steepen recently. I love the general patent quote, and I've used this many times. If everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. And you think about it, you know, so many people are on one side of the boat with the whole idea that yields are going to have only one way to go, and that's negative. I know, you know, when I do client events, the question of, you know, will when will the U.S. go negative? Not if, it's when. It's so con- confident versus 12 months ago. When, you know, including LPL research, that matter, a majority of people expected the 10-year yield to be higher, and we had that surprise move lower. So, Jeff, that kind of leads to the maybe a good segue to the next question. Here we go. It came from our good friend Mark. So thanks, Mark, in Nebraska. He said, what, if anything, are equity market sentiment indicators telling us any extremes in sentiment in any part of the investment universe? And I think that's kind of where I wanted to focus on the extremes. First off, it is this idea that yields have only one way to go, and that's negative. You know, Bank of America Merrill Lynch does a survey that just came out this week. It's $600 billion worth of global managers, what they see. And I've got the number here. Only 18% of those interview or um, is it interviewed? How would I word it, Jeff? Are those polled, I guess we'll call it. Um, expected rates to be higher 12 months from now. Compare that to September of 18, so about a year ago, 87%. You talk about extremes. I think this, the, the contrarian play 
is probably higher rates here going forward, which should potentially benefit those financials uh, specifically and maybe help value out a little bit. What do you think? Is there any other extremes out there? That's the one that came to my mind, Jeff, that everyone thinks rates have one way to go and that's lower, and I don't think that's the case. Yeah, boy, it's uh, it's tough to uh, make a call on rising interest rates given the environment that we've been in for right. certainly the past uh, decade or so. Uh, but I agree with you. Everybody seems to be on that side of the boat. Um, and eventually, fundamentals in the U.S. Uh, will push rates higher. And I'm talking about economic growth and inflation, primarily. Uh, monetary policy should eventually, maybe not tighten up, but become less loose. And that can put upward pressure on rates. So uh, we do think generally uh, the path over the next year uh, and probably beyond is for rates to move higher, but it's going to be gradual mm-hmm. because we still have the pr- downward pressure on yields uh, from overseas. Uh, and then we still have, you know, certainly value stocks have been out of favor, so there's negative sentiment there. That turned in September. Uh, we could see a rotation into value uh, at some point over the next year, although right now our recommendation is to be pretty balanced right. between mm-hmm. growth stocks and value stocks. And then, you know, stocks are still cheap. Um, in, in Europe, uh, in Japan, in emerging markets. So there's a potential contrarian opportunity emerging over there. Yeah, good points there. So you know, just from like a stock market point of view, which really was Mark's first question, I mean, the one thing that gets me and gets us at LPL Research, we've had three separate 5% corrections this year on the S&P. The largest correction we've seen peak to troughs only, quote-unquote, only 7%. The average year sees three separate 5% corrections. What we've noticed on those three different corrections that we had earlier this year, and then in June, and then in August, uh, three times you had a 5% correction, the market really, for lack of a, uh, I guess, a technical term, freaked out, right? Uh, relatively modest corrections. I mean, very large spikes in put-to-call ratios, continued huge outflows out of stock funds into bond funds. Uh, just fascinating, really. And again, just from the Anecdotal sentiment. When you know when we're on the road talking to advisors, doing client events, the questions are always how bad things are going to be. I can't tell you. Probably count on one hand how many times I hear how good are things going to be. This is a ten-year bull market. S and P's a chip shot from the all-time highs. How good can things be? You know. So that inner contrarian in me uh, just continues to think, hey, we're going to have corrections. We're going to have pullbacks. Uh, but when I see German stock market breaking out. You know, we see industrials over the last couple of weeks finally taking the baton is starting to lead. Uh, there are some real positives under the surface that, at least to me, most people sure seem to be ignoring. And I know the scary, we know the scary headlines. We're not ignoring those. But it just seems like that negative sentiment that we continue to see, especially on modest pullbacks, is that driver that can continue to keep this uh, you know, bull run alive and well, in my view. You agree there, Jeff? I hope. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, in general, this is a simplistic way to look at it, but if the economy is growing, you want to be in stocks, right? Uh, we also have the old adage, don't fight the Fed, that we've heard many times before. So if you look historically, you did a lot of work on this, Ryan. When the Fed um, cuts rates, the odds are uh, quite high that uh, stocks will go higher. I mean, certainly you have cases where um, they've been behind the curve and cut too late, which is what we observed in 2007 and 8. But in general, much more often than not, uh, if the Fed's on your side, uh, that's a time to own stocks. And uh, we've got the potential for good news. We always worry, the wall of worry, right, uh, mm-hmm. that things are going to go wrong. But um, we've got the, the potential for a Brexit deal over the weekend. Even if that doesn't happen, 
uh, we still moved closer uh, to a uh, smooth exit from the European Union for uh, the UK. And then trade progress uh, continues. And there's certainly a lot of pressure on uh, President Trump here to make more progress there and to get some sort of a mini-deal uh, or um, truce plus, if you will, in uh, November at this um, economic summit. Uh, you know, let's go to the next question we got. John in New York actually had the question about the Fed, and I think it's a good segue because we kind of hinted it, probably the answer we're going to give here. He said, you know, are rates being lowered for the wrong reasons? And we think what he's really asking, what John's really getting at, is the Fed really too tight here? And then he said, is there a, t- a time period in mind or economic measurements that can indicate we've gone too far and may not be able to quickly dig out of a hole if we got too deep. So, you know, Jeff, I mean, you kind of hinted at some of those. Is the Fed too tight, we think, right now? Or should they even cut in October like most people expect, I guess, is the better way to put that? Well, the market won't like it if they don't cut in October because it's pricing it in. Uh, roughly 90% odds. Certainly some of the more mixed economic data over the last several weeks has increased the odds that we do get an October cut. You know, whether they cut in October or pause and wait until uh, December, I think they're going to be pretty well where they should be. The, the difficult thing here uh, is to gauge the need for insurance right, against trade going bad. That, that's the big risk out there. So uh, I, I think if they cut one more time, uh, then from that point forward, it's just a question of how much insurance do they need uh, in their minds against uh, a potential escalation in the China tariff fight. But you know, if you look at December, I mean, you're talking about the um, the heart of the campaign season being right around the corner for the 2020 election. I don't think uh, President Trump wants any nasty escalation in the first quarter of 2020. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, what Mark Twain say? History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And, you know, when you talk about – Terrence gave me a little nod. That's a good one, isn't it, Terrence? Yeah, <laughs> I've used that a lot. <laughs> anyway, in 95 and 98, the Fed cut rates three times, 25 basis points. And you mentioned 2001 and 2007 when they were behind the curve. They actually started off cutting at 50 basis points. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but my, my view – is when they cut 50 basis points, they might tell us one thing, right? Oh, things are okay. It's a slowdown. We're just cutting rates here. But what they do is what should matter. The fact they haven't cut 50 basis points this cycle like they did in 01 and 07 could be a good thing. And, and like Mark Twain said, maybe history doesn't repeat, but it can rhyme. 95, 98 were two different slowdowns that we saw. Some geopolitical concerns were around. The economy wasn't really in a recession, but there were two 25 basis point cuts. So maybe we get one more on, I believe it's October 30th. And we get the candy the very next day. And, um, you know, maybe the Fed will not take our candy away and give us that 25 basis point cut. And then the economy can kind of continue to expand. And it does revolve around trade, like you said, Jeff. But that's kind of the things we're looking at. One other other thing, and then I'll kind of maybe go to the next question. You know, we took a look at if the Fed cuts rates near all-time highs. And I know I mentioned this before, but I think it's so powerful. I found 17 times back to 1980 the Fed actually cut rates within 2% of an all-time high. A year later, the S&P 500 was up 17 times every single time. So you say, you say don't fight the Fed. That's in the back of my head. We're going to have pullbacks. We're going to have volatility. That's, that's, that one's always going to be in the back of my head that, you know, in an in a easing cycle with the economy still okay, <laughs> you don't want to fight the Fed. Before you go on to yep, the next question, sure. Ryan, I also want to point out that the yield curve 
is essentially a report card for the Fed telling it whether it's too tight, right? Right. So mm-hmm. uh, the yield curve, the, the main one we're watching, the spread between the two-year Treasury yield and the 10-year Treasury yield, has moved out of inversion, reverted. I don't know what the term is. <laughs> if you want to come with it, uh, <laughs> good, I say I just say back uh, above zero. But I hear you. I've, I've been I've been stumped there as well. Deep into the positive territory. Uh, that is good news. Even the three-month ten-year spread that others look at has moved out of uh, inversion. That is a positive sign. And the market, the bond market, is basically telling the Fed that with one more cut, they're probably out of this danger zone where the yield curve is, uh, is saying they're too tight. Good stuff there, Jeff. Now what? Now we're going to maybe change gears a little bit with this next question. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, how did you know you wanted to be in the world of finance? I'll, I'll start, Jeff, and then you can go. I guess for me, I was at Xavier University in Cincinnati in 1999. I was an accounting major. I didn't really like accounting, to be honest. I just always liked numbers, and the stock market was going up. I was like, that's pretty cool. My dad gave me some money. I, I made a bunch of money. I remember the joke is I was, I was literally cutting class sometimes because a penny stock was coming out and the library hit refresh a bunch of times. This is in 1999, right? Internet didn't work very well. But I was like, why am I going to go learn about theology when I can make a couple hundred bucks? I had no idea what I was doing, but I was enthralled with it. And then the crash happened, the tech bubble crash, and I lost everything. I was on margin. Again, I had no idea what I was doing, but it was a very valuable lesson. It was like, oh my goodness, you could have made money on the way down. Oh, value stocks actually went up. You know, I mean, there's different things that, that fascinated me with the psychology behind it and then I was I was hooked and I've been doing it about every day since for the last 20 years so Jeff what was your um it was an expensive very expensive uh, lesson but I think that's the way you learn obviously is um is through through learning uh through mistakes really so Jeff when did you know you wanted to do this for a living well let me begin by apologizing for my role in that because I was covering tech stocks in the late 90s <laughs> I didn't really contribute to the euphoria too much, uh, but I certainly didn't detract from it by putting uh, buy ratings on on internet stocks back back then. Of course, reinvented myself, and I got a little more job security now. Uh, I I would say I was uh, predisposed to doing this because my father uh, started in the business as a stock analyst in the early '70s, and then transitioned to um, a stock broker in the uh, mid to late 70s and has been doing it ever since and is still doing it today, uh, working full-time even well into his 70s. So um, this, I was exposed to this. Certainly, like you, Ryan, I had the uh, interest uh, in, in math and numbers and uh, just um, you know really, really took to it. I, I worked at the Fed right out of college, and um, you know, that sort of cemented my view that I really um, – you know, wanted to get more involved in the markets. Certainly wasn't a central banker or an economist. Uh, the, uh, right. the stock market always uh, intrigued me, and I really got into it after business school in the, uh, in the late 90s. Oh, where's your dad right now? Where, where's home? Yeah, he's in Kansas City. That's what I thought. Okay. He, he, never, he never left, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you go to the games often, the Chief Games, or does he do that? Ever? Oh, yeah. That's what I figured. Chiefs okay. Games, Royals yeah. Games, big, big awesome. fan of the Kansas City uh Sports teams. My family still has tickets, so uh, if you're uh, if you're there and you want tickets to well, a game, let me know. Well, you know, <laughs> maybe I might take you up on that. My boys are they love playing all sports. They're out in the yard literally yesterday, and because they knew the Thursday night game, and they I they knew I wasn't listening. I, they just playing right. They're like, oh, Mahomes to you know Tyreek Hill, and like, my boys really love Mahomes. I know most young kids love Pat Mahomes just because he's awesome, you know. But my boys especially are. 
that we were Bengals fans. I know it's terrible. Oh, and oh, and whatever. Uh, by the time we listen to this, to who knows? Maybe they have won a game by the time people hear this. I really doubt it. But still, Bengals first. But my boys really like your Chiefs. So I don't. Hopefully, don't the curse of Ohio doesn't rub off on you. I'm sorry yeah, if it does. Disappointing <laughs> that Mahomes got hurt last night. Hopefully, he's only out. Uh, exactly. A few games. Right. We'll yeah. Well, Jeff, we've got a couple minutes. Um, so I, uh, this is our last question. I think this is pretty cool, though. So we might do this again with more questions. I mean, we really appreciate the the feedback and the continued listening. You know, feel free and send us any questions or comments. Um, LPL Market Signals Podcast at LPL.com. But the last question, Jeff, that we have time for the best bit of advice for a new investor. And I mean, there are just so many different ways that, you know, we can take this. And I always like to use quotes. And I, I kind of, you know, Warren Buffett, he says, it's not necessary to do extraordinary things to be to have extraordinary results. And I think that's so important. You don't need to get cute with certain things. Just, you know, have a long-term view. There's going to be corrections. There's going to be recessions. There's going to be pullbacks. It's going to be extremely scary. But, you know, using a financial advisor and you Using, leveraging other people, you know, to not get panicked at the lows or too excited like I was when I was skipping class in 1999 to make some money. You know, that those are the things we want to avoid. And sometimes having a financial advisor or someone help you is the best way to do that. But I think that's the most important thing. You know, slow and steady wins the race. And it really is true. I mean, Jeff, what do you think? What's the best advice for someone who's kind of new to the investment world? Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, glib, maybe, but, uh, you know, buy low, sell high. Um, you know, Warren Buffett talks about um, fear and greed, right? right. And so be, be bullish when markets are fear, fearful, I think is good advice, right? Uh, and then I also like, I think you've probably shared this on the podcast, Ryan, before. I know you know the quote from John Templeton. Oh, yeah. Bull markets are born on pessimism. They grow on skepticism. They mature on optimism. And they die on euphoria. So when markets are euphoric, that's what we saw in, certainly in 1999. 2000, that's when you should be skeptical. We don't see that euphoria today, and that's one of the reasons why we think stocks continue to go higher. Uh, and on the flip side, it's really hard to do, but when um, everybody is most fearful, certainly as we saw uh, at the start of this bull market in March of 2009, uh, that's a time where it's very dangerous to sell. So resist the urge uh, to sell into fear and into sharp declines. I think that's as hard as it is. Um, good advice, uh, certainly for uh, new investors. And I'll add one more. Um, stocks uh, go up over time, no matter what the political environment. So don't be too influenced by politics, no matter who, um, you know, who's in the White House or, or where the um, control of Congress lies. Uh, great point there, Jeff. I think we could almost do a full podcast just on quotes. And we've done a lot of good ones. But here's one of my favorites um, from the great Brian Fantana of Anchorman. He said, they've done studies, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. So I just think that's a good quote to, good quote to end things on. So, Jeff, thanks a lot for being here this week. Um, I look at the time, but we've probably got to sign off here. So I appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks to all of our listeners once again. We will be back next week for the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals Podcast. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful.
All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, Please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.